Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro, and I want to welcome you to the Emotionally Healthy Leader podcast today. This is part two on your integrity and your leadership. And last week, actually, it was part one, uh, and I shared a sermon that I gave a couple of years ago out of Acts chapter 5, verses 1 to 11 on Ananias and Sapphira. And it was just so important for me, and I think for you as well as a leader, to base that on a very powerful biblical story of the implications when we don't have integrity, at least from a biblical perspective. But today I want to expand on that and uh, and get very practical. And I'm just going to try to imagine we're sitting at a table here and we're talking about integrity. And if I was going to you know, give you some counsel about integrity and leadership, I would focus on really four areas uh, as the base, as the foundation from which not only do we begin, but it's the foundation out of which we live our entire leadership lives. And it comes out of the the principle of the higher up you go on the ladder of leadership, the less freedom you have to do whatever you want. In other words, the more integrity is needed. Uh, You're a more public person, your actions uh, or lack of actions have a impact far beyond you realize. And you're unable to explain yourself because you're in a much larger sphere of influence. And so it's everything that you're saying, doing, not doing, not saying that impacts people. And uh, your shadow, of course, casts a greater uh, projection as well as your light. So again, First Timothy 3, that's why it says about being above reproach if you're going to be a an elder uh, in a church because the impact of your integrity is so great. And and so, again, we define integrity as you're the same person on stage as off stage. It is a congruence of your inner and your outer life, your soul and your role that you're in. And so I have four areas of integrity for every leader that I believe are, are foundational. And a little backdrop here is my journey with this has been long and hard. Uh, <clears throat> Is it, I didn't just come to this, you know, sitting down at a table. Again, this comes like everything out of failure. And uh, I think a, a slow understanding over time that, you know, we follow the crucified Jesus and thus we've died to the world's measurement of success. And uh, we've embraced the scandal of the cross, at least to the world, which is the power of God. And we recognize you can't have the world uh, success and, and Jesus. Uh, and I think the rich young ruler found that out very quickly. And we live a crucified life. Uh, not only do we follow a crucified Savior, we embrace the fact that I've been crucified with Christ. And nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And there's an understanding, I think, as we go into this, that uh, we're called to a life of integrity following a crucified Jesus. And we, too, want to say, as Paul, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom... The world's been crucified to me and I to the world. So uh, this is going to be challenging. It's slow, uh, but they're foundational. So let's go on with number one. So I'm going to talk about – let me just give you a summary of the four areas. One is going to be integrity with God. The second is going to be integrity with yourself. Uh, Third is going to be integrity uh, uh, with your marriage slash singleness. And fourthly is going to be integrity with your leadership. All right, so let me break it down. Let's begin with number one, just integrity with God. Uh, most of us are busy. We have a lot to do. We try to maximize our strengths and our time, uh, uh, but we face the pressure of a overburdened life and more demands than we can possibly meet. And so we could talk about setting priorities and all that. Uh, but much like addicts, 
uh, it's really hard to stop and have a life of integrity with God. I'm not walking around with a lot of guilt that I don't pray enough or read scripture enough. I'm not with God enough. And it's kind of like this adrenaline rush. So somehow like Moses and Elijah and John the Baptist, we've got to figure out how do I fashion a desert uh, in the midst of my life to cultivate my relationship with Jesus? And again, it's recognizing the illusion that we can't take people on a journey spiritually that we've not taken. And that when we skim in our relationship with God, there's no program that's going to substitute for that superficiality and the self-will that just inevitably follows that kind of a lifestyle. So it's interesting because in church, if you read church history, that uh, one of the seven deadly sins is described as sloth, S-L-O-T-H, or, or not caring. And they're not just referring to laziness, but actually to busyness with the wrong things. In other words, it was an understanding that, that we're overly active because we cannot bear the effort demanded by a life of recollection and solitude with God. Uh, and that's for this reason that the Desert Fathers, if you read the Desert Fathers, second, third, fourth centuries, they had no patience for, for activism, uh, even godly activity that wasn't nourished by with a rich inner life with God. And they repeatedly warned uh, leaders about being engaged in activity for God before the time was ripe. And it's a very timely warning for us. There's a great little booklet uh, written by Bernard of Clairvaux uh, in the early 1100s. He was the abbot of a Cistercian monastery in France and, and the greatest Christian leader of his day. And when one of his spiritual sons from the monastery named Eugene III became pope, he was deeply concerned for Eugene because he did not believe that he had an interior life to cope with the demands or level of responsibility that he was now carrying. And so he grieved over this uh, for Eugene, and he writes him these letters to Eugene III. And they're very interesting letters, but basically here's what he says to him in so many words. He says, listen, you've been a, a sloppy monk, and... Uh, now you're carrying the weight of Western Christendom on your shoulders. And he calls him basically to really discipline himself to a, a life of monastic prayer and scripture, etc. And, and here's how he closes this counsel. He says, quote, remove yourself from the demands, lest you be distracted and get a hard heart. And if you're not terrified by the thought of getting a hard heart, it's already yours. And you were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. And it's just a, it's just a, it's such a timely word, I think, for so many of us. And uh, because we end up carrying all these responsibilities for God, and find that our interior life is parched uh, or struggling. And so, when our life with God is insufficient to sustain, sustain our life for God, we struggle with our integrity. And you know, my training. I think of my training as a uh, in seminary and leadership over the years was reach people for Jesus, grow the church, engage in missions, use my gifts to the fullest. Fullest. Uh, yeah, I learned about quiet time and days with God and scripture and all that. But the emphasis was definitely outer. It was upper. It was towards external growth, not inner, uh, downward into my own soul. But if we work for God without a deep interior life with God, it, it, it's going to contaminate all of our work. And then what happens is our, our experiential sense of validation 
gradually shifts from the love of God for me and, and to my own works and performance and what other people think. And, and joy in leadership just gradually disappears. And, and so for me, this is, this, is the num- it's interesting, this is the number one issue for me for every leader. And it's actually the number one issue, I believe, for every disciple. It's the, it's the very first lesson in our discipleship course for every believer. It's how are you balancing your doing in life for God and your being with God? Because when that, those, we use two circles, if the circles get out of whack, all of life is out of whack. And so uh, for me, this is my daily Concern my integrity with God. Am I getting enough time with God? And so I, I, I try to live out monastic rhythms. Uh, I learned a great deal from monasteries in the 2003, 2004, four month sabbatical I had, and it never left me. And their, their structure of rhythms of prayer, the daily office, as they called it, and then with Sabbath and a rule of life. And uh, it was a life changing season for me. And I am utterly convinced that just trying to be more disciplined is not enough. Uh, it requires a drastic shift in our lives. And so, again, let me just close with this without going into great detail. Uh, how are you right now in your own integrity with God and in terms of your being with God, being able, sufficient to sustain your doing for God? And that's why I don't. you want to be really careful and prayerful about the timing of every new initiative you take, that you've got the soul or inner life to sustain it. And I find when people grow their ministries very quickly and they're gifted uh, is sometimes one of the most dangerous places uh, to be. So be patient and uh, let's make sure you have your integrity with God in place. You've got rhythms. You've got a solid rule of life for yourself. Uh, and again, you can read about that and things like the emotionally healthy leader and other places. So lots on the web on that, but getting that set. All right. The second is integrity with yourself. So it's not just integrity with God; it's integrity with yourself. And and as you all know, being a leader can can do violence to your soul, and then we're no good to anybody, and we end up becoming resentful, and you know, we, because we're giving something out of which we don't have. And all of our joy is gone, and our own relationship with Jesus begins to falter. And, you know, who has time to enjoy Jesus, our spouses, our friends, our children, even life, and even sleep? And uh, we keep saying, oh, the space I need for replenishing my soul will happen later, let alone fun and hobbies. And so, you know, integrity with yourself means uh, what do I need to be a good steward of this life that I've been given with all of its gifts and limits? Limits physically, limits emotionally, spiritually, um, relationally. And, and Jesus is, is the model of healthy self-care. With the weight of the world on his shoulders, we observe him resting and enjoying what others give to him. I, I think of that woman coming to him with an alabaster jar of perfume in John chapter 12, and he just receives it, you know, the worship and this expensive perfume. Um, I mean, how many of us would allow someone to spend a year's wages on us we just don't see ourselves as that valuable or important. Uh, so that means uh, we take the time to really think that through on a daily basis, an annual basis, the seasons of our lives. What do I have to give a solid no to uh, that's coming to me? And I know for myself, if I don't give myself the gift of silence, I can't take care of anybody. And uh, you know, I, I used to feel like I had to be a pastor, I got to be strong, and blah blah blah. And I. I, I you know, I've learned the hard way that it just it doesn't work because it's not sustainable. And so 
One of the greatest challenges is to manage ourselves. Uh, you know, how can I be in c- communion with other people if I'm not in communion with myself? How can I be in a healthy relationship with others if I'm not in a healthy relationship with myself? How can I be intimate with you if I'm not intimate with me? In other words, I, I'm, I have integrity with myself and how I manage and steward uh, this short, brief, earthly life that God has given me uh, in, a, in the flesh, in, in a body, for a short period of time on earth. And the integrity is I need to steward this uh, for the sake of the world, uh, for God's sake. And that's why, at a very basic level, Sabbath keeping is life and death. Sabbath keeping isn't, to me, as a, as a spiritual practice, not even a question for those of us in leadership, uh, because it, it's such an, an acceptance of God's invitation to slow down, and to stop and rest and delight and contemplate him, see him in his all his glory for a 24-hour period each week. And our culture knows nothing of slowing down and resting for 24 hours, especially to rest and delight in God. And I used to always see this spiritual practice as an optional extra. Uh, no, it is absolutely essential, I believe, for every leader in discipleship, much like prayer is essential and Bible study is essential. Uh, and worship's essential. They don't save us. Jesus alone is our Savior, and we stand before God in His righteousness. At the same time, there are certain spiritual practices that are critical, that are essential for our growth and maturity in Christ. And Jesus reminds us, well, you weren't made for Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for you as a gift. And the more you taste it, uh, the more you'll say, like Jerry and I have said so often to ourselves, how do we ever live without Sabbath? Uh, no wonder pastoring and leadership felt so violent to our souls. So for her and I, again, we, you know, this is, I'm, I'm doing this or recording this podcast on the day after uh, July 4th, it's July 5th here, and you'll be hearing it on July 10th. But, you know, yesterday was an additional Sabbath, you know, July 4th fell on a Wednesday, and it's wonderful. It's another Sabbath day. You stop, rest, delight, contemplate him in all his glory. And then this Friday night at seven o'clock, we will, you know, enter into our Sabbath. Um, Again, through, uh, in my case, it'll be through, you know, Sunday morning. But usually we do minimally Friday night, 7 p.m. to Saturday night, 7 p.m. And I avoid um, emails related to work and social media related to work and computer and all that. And uh, I'm not going to do things like pay bills and, you know, clean the house and repair the cars. I'm going to do things that give me delight and and life and uh, no have-tos and shoulds. And again, by the world standards is inefficient, non-productive, and useless, and yet it's one of the most fundamental gifts God's given to us, uh, to you and to me, to take care of ourselves. And again, if we can't take care of ourselves, how are we going to take care of other people? All right, so it's integrity with God, number one, and then integrity with yourself. Uh, Again, you want to be in this for the long haul. But thirdly, it's integrity in your marriage or your singleness. Few people are willing to talk about the sad state of many leaders, marriages, and singleness. And as was said to me once many years ago, if you ever brought this teaching to uh, you know, megachurches across the country, you would disrupt the megachurch movement. And I don't know, but uh, I do know this, that the best leadership conferences that I know of, or some of the most popular ones, better said, along with our seminaries, don't train us on how to have integrity in our marriages and singleness in a way that t- tastes and point to heaven. 
But there's so many pressures and hazards that come our way that it's not going to happen naturally. And I think the, the Apostle Paul understood this, that we minister out of who we are and the state of our status as marriage or singles. And so he made the quality of, again, in 1 Timothy 3, 4 and 5, uh, our marriages or our, our, our close community as singles a requirement for leadership. He says, he, you know, a leader must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He knew our ability to be a healthy organism uh, at home was foundational to build a healthy organism or system uh, outside of ourselves, outside of our families. You know, again, the principle to me is as goes the leader, so goes the church. And as goes the leader's marriage or as goes the leader's singleness, so goes the church or ministry. And if we're too preoccupied to invest in our marriages uh, or a healthy singleness, it is an illusion to think we're going to lead a healthy ministry organization or church. And so I I love this quote by Mike Mason uh, that was found in The Mystery of Marriage, a book he wrote, an older book here. And here's what he says. He says, the problem with most troubled marriages is that both partners are trying to accomplish far too many things in the world. And in the process, like Martha in Luke 10, they neglect the one thing needful. Next to the love of God, the one thing that is by far the most important in the life of all married people is their marriage. For marriage involves nothing more than a lifelong commitment to love just one person, to do whatever else one does, a good thorough job of loving one person. Jerry and I made a commitment 22 years ago that uh, we would live out of a marriage, would live out of our marriage, we'd lead out of our marriage as a sign and a wonder for Christ, and we began to then make decisions out of that commitment, changed our lives, and uh, the implications of it were, were vast. It was a huge limit to what we were doing as pastors, lead pastors at that time, but it was also a great gift. Uh, to receive God's guidance and the kind of quality that would flow out of our lives. And the same thing applies for those of you who are single. Uh, The quality of healthy single relationships, a healthy single life in Christ is foundational out of which you will lead. So when Paul talks about marriage in Ephesians 5, he can't help but talk about it as a sign and a wonder, a revelation that points to our union with Christ and the church. And this has such enormous implications for our discernment of God's will, God's priorities, and of course, our limits. So for example, if I'm thinking about writing a book, Jerry and I are going to have a talk, going to talk about it because such a project is going to impact our marriage and her life. So if she says to me, this is not a good time for such a commitment, then I will hold off. And I love and feel God's call uh, to be continue living in New York City. We've been here for 34 years, tough place to live for Jerry. Um, but if she ever said to me, and she knows this, Pete, I really believe it's time, the grace for me has run out of living here in the city of New York, especially in Queens, uh, I would receive that as God's call for me because we're one in this thing. And so whether it's even adding an additional service on Sunday evenings, um, I, I recognized that every decision I made had to be taken in light of my marriage because uh, God's never asked you to sacrifice the integrity of your marriage or singleness on the altar of leadership. Uh, it's a constant temptation, but with the theology of marriage and a theology of singleness as a vocation, uh, and it, for me, it's only deepened over time, this temptation has is, is weakened significantly. So 
let, let me encourage you. There's a whole chapter on that in the Emotionally Healthy Leader book on leading out of your marriage or singleness. Uh, and I want to encourage you to read that. Uh, it's a really large theology. Uh, but again, like, every, like, slowing, like integrity with God slows you down. Integrity with yourself slows you down. And of course, integrity in your, with your marriage or singleness is going to slow you down. Uh, and the final one is really going to slow you down. It's called integrity in your leadership. And that's the fourth big area. And uh, sadly, I mean, this took me really 19 years to, to come to grips with in a, in a full way. And everything's a, uh, a process, isn't it? There's a scale of growing into something. And uh, in integrity, a scale of differentiation. And I know for me, it was 19 years into leading uh, a church that I really came to a, a rock, I don't know, bedrock of integrity in my leadership where I did say to myself, am I able to grow in this level of integrity needed for the next stage? Do I, do I want to go through the pain of that Uh or am I going to grow through this? And it looked impossible to me. And I, again, this, you, some of you may be listening to my podcast on differentiation and the 10 hard questions that I asked myself at that season. Um, but I think I believe integrity and leadership is just another foundational core uh, for every leader. Now, in my case, I had a lot of things to do, sermons, board meetings, administration, crises, and I rushed a lot. Uh, I sometimes avoided meetings that were difficult. I skimmed on truth when it was uncomfortable. I avoided discussions about people's performance when it was poor. I didn't want to ask difficult questions sometimes. I didn't want to speak up when something was clearly wrong. Uh, I didn't give myself the time that was needed to think through meetings, especially board meetings and staff meetings that were talking about issues that were difficult for me. Uh, I sometimes didn't follow through on my commitments because I didn't want to think through how much time each yes would take. Uh, and I didn't want to take the time to examine painful data that was sometimes screaming at me that things were not as good as I imagined to be in my head. And I finally admitted the truth to myself in 2006 that the biggest deterrent to New Life Fellowship, again, the, lead, the church, the organization I was leading, to become what God meant her to be was not any other person. It wasn't all external. It wasn't external obstacles like money and location and the people in our church. The issue was me, uh, and that sent me into looking at my own integrity and leadership on a whole nother level. Again, it wasn't I, I was living a double life. I was just unaware, uh, or at least I, I was. I was not looking honestly at some of the things I just shared with you, and so. Um, the avoidance of the necessary time to plan well and follow through on project details was really about my character. I used to call it a gift mix. Uh, and I found that learning the skills and uh, of being a more differentiated leader or a leader with a higher level of integrity was something I could learn. Uh, it was going to hurt, and but I, I could learn it. And so after this 19 years, uh, the gridlock was broken. And I, I reached a point of frustration. Uh, the the inner workings of our staff, we probably had about 20 people on staff at that point, 25 people. I, we weren't reflecting what I was preaching. And uh, I, I just couldn't go forward preaching something we weren't living. And around that time, Jerry did say something to me about, uh, you know, I, I wasn't having the guts to live out fully what I was preaching and believing and doing in my own life on a personal level, but not in the teams I was leading. 
And uh, she actually challenged me. Maybe your time's up and someone else needs to step in and lead. I mean, I was very exposed. Uh, and I realized I was afraid of being misunderstood, losing a few friends. People might leave the church, halting our momentum. And uh, I had to get to God. I had to get to myself. Um, and uh, yes, I did want someone else to come in and do the dirty work and the hard work of hiring, firing, redirecting, leading the church through painful changes before me. But I, uh, my sin was before me, and I, I saw what needed to be done. Changes in leadership were needed, uh, staff leadership. A few people were not properly slotted. Others weren't doing their role well. And I preferred doing the easy things, like preaching and teaching. But my integrity was at stake. Uh, the impact in the church was becoming visible. And uh, so I basically made a decision to, okay, Lord, uh, and I incorporated into my job description, the, the job description of, of the executive pastor for a while, because I wanted to learn the role. I said, I canceled speaking engagements at that point, all of them outside New Life Fellowship. I said no to a potential book contract, signed up for a round of excellent counseling to sort through my own beneath the iceberg issues. I, I, I moved to church, I moved to a preaching team uh, so I could preach less. And I needed time to think and reflect before God on a number of leadership integrity issues before me. And uh, oh my gosh, uh, that, was a, that, that was a turning point of my life. And again, out of that came the Emotionally Healthy Leader book. And um, I, I can't tell you, what, what, I mean, I, I look back now, I say, I thank God for that moment of saying, okay, uh, Lord, you help me kill the lion and the bear. You can help me move through this. But uh, part of that integrity as a lead pastor at that point related to the formation of a leadership culture that lived what we preached. And so we, I moved our staff, for example, to a rule of life uh, as a whole, even our membership. Uh, it was just a level of integration of what we call emotionally healthy discipleship that I had not done to that point. And uh, so, uh, again, these four areas, slow down uh, for integrity with God. Slow down for integrity with yourself, slow down for integrity in your marriage or singleness, and slow down for integrity in your leadership, that you actually do what you say, your yes is yes, your no is no. All that assumes a foundation of solid, deep discipleship in your life. In other words, discipleship, your discipleship in Jesus is the engine which fuels this kind of integrity on the level of leadership. And that's why I want to strongly encourage you, strongly encourage you to get a hold of the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship Leaders Kit uh, and the part one and part two, these two courses, um, you do this material. I, I don't believe the kind of integrity we're talking about here is going to be possible without your own discipleship getting excavated and reworked so it's so solid that you can move into this area of integrity and leadership, which is much, leadership is intensive discipleship. Uh, you need, uh, in my experience, 99% of, of pastors and leaders, and I'll include myself in this, need a revamping or a upgrade in our own discipleship with Jesus for the next level of leadership. So let me invite you to a live stream training. I do one every single month. For three and a half hours, you can do it at, the, at, the, at your office, wherever you are. You just need another person, preferably three people in a room. And from July, on July 26th, from 1 to 4.30, uh, I will do a live stream training on how it's called Start a Revolution, you know, leading the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship course in your church or ministry. And I'll actually lead a couple of sessions so you get a taste of it. But it's meant to be a launch to get you actually moving 
uh, in your, on your own integrity as a Christ follower. And everything we're talking about needs to be applied on a leadership level. But you see, if you can't apply it on a personal level, uh, you're never going to be able to apply it on a leadership level. That's why Paul understood that what happens in a board meeting in conflict, if you can't resolve it at conflict at home, what makes you think you're going to be able to resolve conflict in the pressure of a board meeting when there's powers and principalities out there seeking to destroy you? So again, let me encourage you, you know, go to our website, emotionallyhealthy.org, sign up for our next live streaming. It's on uh, July 26th, 1 to 4.30, and uh, you'll see where it all leads from there. Now, you may be saying as we close here, Pete, what you're talking about, this integrity would change the entire way I do ministry. Who has this kind of time to slow down? I'll never get anything done. Well, listen, yes, I'm inviting you to surrender to this, our living God in trust. And rather than grasp out of anxiety to make things happen, to actually surrender to him and, and, and let go. And yes, with human beings, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Hallelujah. So let me invite you to, to step out of anxiety and surrender. And then remember, the most important focus of your leadership is not to change your organization. It's not to change your church. It's to let Jesus change you. The most important, let me say it again, the most important focus of your leadership needs to be not changing your organization, not changing your church. It's letting Jesus change you. And as your inner life is transformed, your outer world will change as well. Integrity is walking in truth, beginning first with what's happening inside of you. That takes enough courage. And out of that flows everything else. And just accept your limits. You're not God. We don't have to be God. God's running the world. Relax and enjoy the fact that you're not in charge. And even when you die and I die, God will keep building his kingdom. The world will keep going on without us. And all is well. Thank you. It's been great to be with you. Again, join us at emotionallyhealthy.org. Our July 26th training, Start a Revolution. You go first and others will follow your leadership. God bless you. Have a great day.